Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each episode we bring you a fresh and insightful interview featuring one of the film industry's top directors, conducted by one of their peers. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying The Director's Cut, please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes or like us on SoundCloud. We love hearing your feedback. This episode features a Q&A from a galaxy far, far away, as director Ryan Johnson discusses the eighth installment in the Star Wars saga, The Last Jedi. The film continues the events of Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens, as Rey develops her Force abilities with a reluctant Luke Skywalker, while Finn, General Leia Organa, and the Resistance continue their battle against Kylo Ren and the First Order. In addition to Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi, Mr. Johnson's credits include the feature film Looper and episodes of the television series Terriers and Breaking Bad. He won the 2012 DGA Award for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Dramatic Series for his Breaking Bad episode, 51. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Mr. Johnson spoke with director Spike Jones about filming The Last Jedi. During their conversation, Mr. Johnson discusses how his entry into the epic saga felt like a baton handoff, resisting the urge to shoot the movie like a classic Star Wars film, and what he thought the Force was when he was a kid. Mr. Ryan Johnson, our director, writer and director. Not going to stand on ceremony. Hello. All right. Ryan, congratulations. I've just said to you how crazy that you made a Star Wars movie. <laughs> it's amazing. Thank you, Spike. Thanks for being here. Yeah. The, um, um, the, uh, we were also just talking. So uh, Ryan did this for me on my last movie about three years ago, four years ago. And so uh, I'm very honored to be able to do this for you in return. And it's payback time. It's payback time. The, yeah, uh, here on the stage for the DJ screening. And um, the... Uh, and I, fi I figured you've been on a, you know, talking about the movie now for like the last month straight, and you've been probably asked, what was the movie like to you as a kid? What were the Star Wars, uh, did George Lucas see this movie? Yeah. There's probably like five or six questions you've been asked a million times, so I tried to think of ones that you haven't been asked. And Good luck, but, bring Yeah, it. exactly. <laughs> what are the other ones that you've been asked a million times? Oh, boy. I don't want to, because I don't want to say them, because if anyone actually has those questions, they'll feel like I'm making fun of those questions. You're too and they're nice. good questions. You're too no, nice of a true, person. it's true. It's <laughs> true. I'm um, here for you. What do you want to know? Uh, I was thinking about the th the force when I was a kid, what the force was. And like, what, what, was, what was the force to you when you were a kid? When, do you remember, like, thinking about it or feeling it and how old were you when you saw the first movie yeah i mean i was i was four years old when the first movie came out and i swear i have a memory although as i keep telling this story i start doubting the memory and wondering if it's invented of my dad putting me in the car to see the first movie when i was four years old but that would have been absurd right like no. I look, you look at a four-year-old and you're like there's no way you would have yeah i you're don't not know a human yet you don't i have, have memories vague memories <laughs> Do you? Yeah. Wait, you wouldn't remember? Why wouldn't you remember it? I don't know. Well, I don't remember watching the movie, but I remember him putting me in the car. I said, where are we going to see going? And he said, we're going to see the most amazing thing you've ever seen in your life. And I have that as a memory in my head. Uh, and I do the math, and I'm like, God, was I four years old? I guess so. That's cool. But um, It was your destiny. <laughs> no. Um, uh, but no, as a kid... Um, you know, it's, it, it, I mean, to be totally honest, as a kid thinking back, it was like 
you get to grab stuff from across the room, and it is like the superpower thing. You know, that's like the first thing of it that lands. It's kind of how she describes it. You move rocks. And that's kind of it. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of like the kid's view of it, which is which is partially why I, I wrote that scene was I thought like it would be good, especially as we're kind of reintroducing this to a new generation, to stop and take a breath and kind of, even if it doesn't, you know, sink in for really young people who are watching it, at least introduce the idea that this is not just that, that there's something deeper. But actually Yoda, I think, all of Yoda's scenes were the first things as a kid where it first, um, right, you know. You were probably eight when that one came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that so that was, you know, and, and, and it, having a Muppet explain it to you helps, I think, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and what was the idea that, like, like, if you had to describe it when you were eight, I mean, it's that's a that's a really good question. I mean, I, I was because uh, I grew up like religious. My family was really religious, and so it was tied into all of that. I think, and so I think I just probably plugged it into going to church and plugged yeah. it into the idea of the idea of being good. But the, but all those scenes on Dagobah, I do remember um, having kind of a you know weird reverence for as a kid they felt slightly dangerous and they felt obviously the cave scene with luke but all the stuff on dagobah with yoda i don't know the fact that yoda could be this like imp and then on a dime turn and be scary i think that speaks to kind of absorbing this stuff as a kid for the first time and um i don't know yeah absorbing that aspect of it and how did you decide what to how did you make it your own how did you sort of take from it what you you know take from it and still leave room for yourself to make it your own. Yeah, it was that. I mean, that coming into it, that was a big question because this is, you know, it is what it it being what it is, and the fact that it's, um, you know, Disney and it's, you know, my first studio movie that I was coming into. I was that was that was kind of the big question on my mind was, what is this going to be? Is this going to be a big machine that is going to swallow me and um it was one of the really pleasant you know surprises of this whole thing that it really wasn't that that it was um you know kathy kennedy and also um you know all the folks at disney um they had uh, they really understood that like the original movies were incredibly personal movies for for lucas and that's why they they're alive that's why they have you know a soul and um so i when I came into it, first of all, there wasn't like a like any kind of like secret whiteboard with the whole story laid out. It was really just I read JJ's and Michael and Larry's script for seven, and it was just what happens next. They hadn't out. Lit, sketched out the next two no, movies at all. No, no, really? no. It, this this was an, it, like more like a baton handoff, and and that led to, and first of all, that that seemed crazy to me coming into it. I was like, wow, really? And then. As I got into and started working, I, I, it was like, oh, thank God, because it meant that we could, as opposed to just tagging bases, it meant that we could, um, or that I could, you know, honestly react to what I felt from The Force Awakens and those characters and find a path forward for them that, um, I don't know, that felt honest to me, that felt real, and that, that led to some surprising places we might not have gone to if... If the whole thing was drawn out, you know. and as when you eventually did talk to J.J. Abrams and and Lawrence Kasdan, and, and yeah. did they have things in mind that they had sort of were setting up or pointing in directions or things? They that were they had nothing they dictated to me. No, they were really gracious in kind of leaving it open. Right. That this is this is we we took it up to the moment yeah. that movie ended and 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 so for example, the question of like Ray's parentage, which was like a big question in this. Um, 
I I never got like the you know you're remembering Clue, you had the packet of things yeah. at so and so in the library. I never got the equivalent of that for all the answers in this movie. Yeah, and I but the wonderful thing about that was that that meant that um, I was able then to just come up with the answer that was best suited to the dramatic necessities of this story and the fact that this is Ray's quest for identity and the fact that this is the middle chapter where we've got to throw the hardest stuff we can at her, you know, the, I was able then to say, okay, so what is the hardest answer she should, she could get? And the hardest answer is you're not going to get the easy answer of your so-and-so's daughter or whatever it is. You're going to have to stand on your own two feet and define yourself in this story. So I, I, I'm very thankful it was set up that way. You know, when you, I just realized it was a second. Did you, did you intentionally? Was it like, like choose the Empire Strikes Back of the three of them, that knowing that the middle, could, like, were you picking the middle of the trilogy? Oh, I didn't intentionally do. I didn't get to choose any. <laughs> no, I, I was, I was, I felt like very. I felt beyond lucky. I felt like there must have been a clerical error when Kathy approached me to do this. But I, I no, I, I had no choice in uh, what which one I was offered. But that having been said, I was thrilled. They meant Brian Johnson. I, there's somewhere it's like in Brazil, like a fly fell into the typewriter. <laughs> there's like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I was I was thrilled that, it would, that that I got the second chapter. I think that's, um, you know, that's that's where the fun stuff is for me. I think you know. And the, uh, I mean, there's the theme, obviously, that, the, you know, the the old must die, or you have to kill it if you must, for the new to be born. You just talk like Yoda a little bit there. Oh, That's yeah. Good. yeah. <laughs> it's not intentional. It's my bad English. The, uh, um, the, uh, <laughs> but um, the, yeah, it was, is, is, you know, letting go, like, it seems like also for a new generation of filmmakers to make their Star Wars you you know the the old we have to let go of the old Star Wars and is that also, was there? Well, kind of, I mean, there's always kind of a meta layer, but also I mean, and this applies to um, you know to the meta layer as well. Like for me, thematically in the movie, what Kylo and to me interestingly Luke also express is the thing of you have to cut off the past, you have to burn it down in order to move forward. And this is where it gets into the stuff that for me is like personal, just like in my life, just thinking back to, um, you know, uh, times when that has felt like something I want to do. It just, just for myself, I believe that, you know, if you think that you're moving forward by doing that, you're fooling yourself and that that's then just going to still be with you. But you're denying that's with you, and so it's going to bubble up and rise and going to bite you like, in the like ass. holding on to some idea of yourself or idea of yourself from when you were younger. Or yeah, well, or thinking I'm going to throw it, you know, I'm cut whatever it is. The most extreme would be I'm running away from home and going to cut off my parents and never think about them again. And that just means that the rest of your life is going to be defined by, you know, the. And so it, it, I didn't do that, by the way. That was not. <laughs> you ran away from home? No, I didn't. That oh. would have been much more interesting than, yeah, anything I did. But uh, anyway, sorry, I'm going to a rabbit hole here, but it's all to say that, um, you know, uh, I think where the movie ends up really placing its, its heart, or at least where I do, is with Ray, which is. Um, you know, not any of the extremes of throwing away the past or trashing the past, um, and also not the extreme of holding the past so dear that you become imprisoned by it, but um, the balance of uh, shedding what you don't need and building on what you do, I guess. Yeah, the um, yeah, I love her character. She's yeah, you know, she. I mean, and, and it's 
when you wrote this script, you hadn't seen the first movie. You just read the draft of the first movie. I, they were shooting this the first movie while I was writing, so I was watching daily as while I was writing. And yeah. were you kind of writing to her character? And as you, yeah, that was one of the really nice things about the timing of it is um, I was able to see how the actors were bringing it to life and getting to see her, getting to see Adam and what he was doing. Um, and the other thing that was really nice, I was writing before the movie came out, so I was writing just based on my reaction to it and not based on on the world's reaction to it. You know? well, yeah, I love the parts of their conversations. I mean, that's kind of like the spine of the whole movie for me was their conversations with each other and their relationship and and where it goes. And and, yeah. and so now do you have ideas for where the third movie could or should go or things that, you know, because it no, feels like their yeah. relationship is still at the sort of, the core of it. Yeah, absolutely. But I don't know. Uh, JJ and and Chris Terrio are writing right now the third movie, and I. It's a similar thing. It's you haven't sim- talked to them at all. About I it? did. No, I sat down and similar the way the way I sat down with JJ at the beginning of this process and just had a talk where it's just. But it's just like a talk. We like had lunch and it was just like you know, here's where I thought I brought it to. Here's kind of the things I think I set up. But then it's the baton handoff, and now I turn back into an audience member and. Uh, that's kind of exciting. That's cool. What about just like practically, were there, is there a guidebook for like Star Wars? Like here's how, here's lenses we use. Here's lighting approach. Here's, you know, is there, is there practicality in terms of that or is that more sort of self-discovered? No, that's, that's self-discovered. And there was uh, Steve Yedlin, who's my DP, who I've been, um, you know, friends with since I was, I was 18 years old. We kind of met like back on a student film set. Um, he uh, he and I put our heads together at the beginning, and we looked at Empire Strikes Back for um, uh, for lighting inspiration and for general look. But then when we uh, when it came time to actually shoot it, I, I, I you know I talked to him. And I said, I you know we have to kind of cut ourselves loose from the idea of um, of shooting it like a Star Wars movie. I'm making air quotes, uh, uh, meaning that we have to. You know, we got to engage. We got to tell it in a way that's visually exciting for us. And uh, if we are constantly checking each visual decision against like what um, we think a older Star Wars movie would have been shot like, that's going to be really stifling. We got to we got to make the gears engage on it. You know, visually. And so the way the camera moves and the lenses, you just gave yourself total freedom. I did, yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I wasn't. I, I also, though, kind of knew that the that um, I don't know. I don't. Th- I don't think I. I was about to say my style. I don't even really think I have a style. But I, I don't have a style that's like too so wacky. It would be a huge remove. Like I've, it's just pretty straightforward stuff. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I didn't give myself any restrictions in terms of how we visually approach it. Were you ever on set and you put a lens, like a really wide lens, on the camera, and then you're like, "This just feels wrong." Day one, oh, day really? one, and but we shot it and we used it. <laughs> and I said, "How I wide said, of a lens?" It was awesome. I, f- I forget we were anamorphic, so I think it was, it, it wasn't bonkers, but it was pretty wide. I think it was like a 35 on anamorphic. And then it, then it may have been like a 30. And then when you saw him in Dailies, you just felt this is... Not at all. No, I saw it and I was like, oh, okay, we can get away with that. Oh, that cool. actually doesn't feel that weird. So, um, yeah, day one, I was like, oh, God. And then... Um, yeah, I remember there's the thing where Ray's like training with the lightsaber by the rock, yeah. which was um, we shot months before principal photography because we could only 
get to Skellig Michael, which is that actual island, for like three days for shooting. Um, so we got there like three months before, and that was one of the few scenes we shot there. And I remember setting that shot up, and it was awesome because it was like we could only get a very small crew to the island. Yeah. So the first day of filming the Star Wars movie, it was like it felt like a student film crew. It was great. It was so good to like start out on that foot. And so we were just like, it was like Steve and I just like holding the camera down. I'm like, wait, can we get like a kung fu shot? Can we get like down underneath with a wide lens and get the sun behind her? And like she was swinging around. And I'm like, oh, all right, we can, we can, we, you know, we can, we can, we can do this. You know, that's oh, that crazy. <laughs> and so did you like obviously, you know, the, the amount of shoot days and the amount of visual effects shots is much larger than anything you've done before, but. How much were you able to, and you said you worked with the same DP you've always worked with, and obviously the same producer uh, who's with you here. Yeah, Rom. He's where over there. He? Where is he? I don't know where he's at. He's back there. Rom there. Bergman. Yes. Looking for a month. Congratulations, My fuzzy-headed Ron. producer. There he is. And so uh, the, how, at what point, did, were you able to maintain the feel of your sets or did it, did it change by the just sheer scope of it? No, that was another really pleasant thing is that it felt like there were tons of times on set where Ram and I would just be talking and or Steve and I and it would just be like god this feels like any of the other movies we've done you know and I think that's um I think that's a testament to the um heads of departments of of all these massive departments that were doing these massive things and they were so good at it it was such a well-oiled and, machine and so they were so the head the, new, the heads of the department were new the production designer and the yeah the, the, the uh, ad and these they were all from the other no 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 it wasn't actually it was and uh rick heinrichs was our production oh, designer yeah, he great. was new yeah he's awesome and we'd know we had a different ad than we then than jj had had so um but then there were some carryovers michael kaplan was our costume yeah. designer who did seven and neil scanlon who did the, all the creatures he did seven um it was a mixture um but every single person was um every single department was so well run uh it just it was a i don't know and we also had tons of prep we had the luxury of time on this movie which i, I don't think you usually have on movies this size for whatever reason and so yeah, um, ron was saying in your q a the other night that i saw You'd handed this script in 15 months before production. It was like it was about that, yeah, months yeah. earlier than you were supposed to, even, right? That yeah, yeah. I was, and that was really nice because it gave us, um, yeah. I mean, you guys know, like the luxury of time. There's nothing to compare to it. Yeah. yeah. Um, the uh, well, final question. When I was a kid, I saw. I, I love Star Wars, and, and as we were talking about back backstage, and there's a. I had a book of the making of, and there's this photo of uh, of George Lucas with Chewbacca and Chewbacca was hugging him. <laughs> and do, do you know that photo? I think I know it. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. From the yeah. Fin where they sh they shot the final scene where, yeah. with the big sort like of the big throne. Yeah, the award ceremony. ceremony. Yeah. The uh, and um, and I, I that I just love that photo. Like, and so did you get to hug Chewbacca? I did, and I'll t let me tell you something about hugging Chewbacca. Okay. This is going to sound weird, but this is absolutely true. Uh, when you hug Chewbacca, it doesn't feel like hugging a bear. It feels like hugging a dog. Really? Yeah. In, in a good way. In a good way. You can kind of like feel, you know, like you hug a dog, you can kind of feel its skeleton, you feel yeah. its bones, as yeah. opposed to feeling like you're hugging a big puffy thing. Yeah. 
And also, uh, Chewbacca, Jonas, he always carries candies in his satchel. That satchel he wears. Really? And so he always has candy around. That's so sweet. <laughs> it's nothing bad about Chewbacca. <laughs> and w any other moments on set that were just like, you, you flashed to your you know, seven-year-old self, you're like, tripped out on the... Every single day, man. It's like, but, I mean, walking on the Falcon set was something that, like, and that was something that a lot of the people who visited had. I don't know what it is. It's like, I know for me, it was like flashing back to my Falcon Kenner toy. Yeah, me too. Yeah, that, that's weirdly where the emotional connection comes. But I walked up the ramp and on the set for the first time, and I found I had tears in my eyes unexpectedly. It was like... You know, it, it was it was it was strange. But that and I think the other huge thing for me, um, and it's so nice to finally be able to talk about. It. I've been trying to keep it a secret, but Frank Oz, working with Frank Oz, and we recreated the puppet from Empire Strikes Back. Um, Neil Scanlon's team found the original mold, and I mean, they found the woman who painted the original eyes for Yoda, and then Frank came and worked with them on like getting the balance of the puppet right, and. And then he came out for a night and was down underneath in a hole in the set, like puppeteering Yoda for the whole scene. It was it was exactly the way they would have done it, you know, when wow. they and, shot Empire. And so that was shot with a real puppet. Then you oh, enhanced yeah. it with CG. Or? No, no, really? we we added the blue glow, but yeah, that's Amazing. it. No, it's that's it, man. Yeah, it's a practical performance. It's, yeah, it's he really great. cool. That yeah. must have been really fun to. It was amazing. It was such a magical Yoda. night, man. Yeah, and Frank is such a sweet dude and such a great director, you know, in his own right. It was, yeah, it was, yeah, it was such a joy. That's so it's pretty amazing, yeah. Uh, Ron, do we do we cover it, what, anything else we need to cover? Anything else? You sure? <laughs> Anybody have something that we missed? Anything that we did? Yes, no. sir. Thank you. Happy birthday today. It's my birthday today. Oh, all right. Oh. Well, what a great way to end it. Thank Ryan, you. congratulations Appreciate and happy it. birthday. Thanks, Thank Spike. you guys I for coming. It. Thank you, guys. Good night. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to listen to more about the Star Wars saga, check out Episode 5, where director J.J. Abrams discusses Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens, with his co-screenwriter Lawrence Kasdan. You can find past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to click subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share, and leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.